the BI Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me as co-host, we have political scientist, meme lord, and resident grump who likes to throw rocks at people at the streets, Borge. Good day to all of you. PI nyo, PI nothing lahat. Borge here at your service. Mm. So what is PI? Bastos ba tayo? Mga ano? Ano ba ibig sabihin ng PI? PI mo This is a family podcast. Wow, exactly. Wow. What does PI mean? Palaging iritap? Pwede, you know? Palaging, pwede rin, palaging inform? We're here to inform you. Yes, it's quite conny. No, uh, but actually, it's, uh, we, well, we started, we decided to start this podcast because Borge and I, well, we're scholars in politics and we have conversations about, about big questions. And we thought, hey, why not record this and see if anyone else likes to join us, you know, and see if anyone wants to hear it. So let's start a podcast. And it also means, what else does PI mean, Borch? It also means philosophical investigation. We are here to go deep. We are here to go deeper. Mm. We are here How deep? trying, trying to go deeper than anyone else on public and cultural issues. I mean, we are here to ask questions. Questions mm. that can provoke. Questions that only a few would dare ask. I mean, questions that will force people or entice to scream uh, <laughs> and, to force and, people to scream. yeah basically that entice, wow. and, yep entice our <laughs> listeners to ask questions that will go way way outside the box mm-hmm. so it's not deep it's also outside okay yep. and, lastly, <laughs> and then lastly pi also means public introspection meaning okay we do we talk about politics and we go philosophical but also it could be about anything else you know it's but anything that's about public affairs and philippine life like it's so it's public introspection and of course this is strictly Philipp- like philippine affairs so it's like the philippine islands no pi <laughs> all right yeah okay so um and right now a lot of pe- we're joining a lot of people right uh, in the pandemic starting podcasts and we're start in this time you know everyone's at home some of us are unemployed some of us work from home but more or less it's not the ideal situation and we are all irritated we are all frustrated we're all shouting in social media it's almost unbearable you can't Palaging open inis. facebook Palaging inis, yung mga tao. pi Kaya gusto mo mag pi di ba? you shout <laughs> pi so and we're, we're thinking, okay, so maybe we're, we have a political emergency, a political crisis right now. But when you try to talk about it, you know, you can't. But minsan palaging throw, matroll lang kausap mo, di ba? So, but hindi maayos yung usapan. So, we try to thought, think, like, what can we do as, um, as well, political science professors? You know, we met. And you know, teaching at a university, and so we think, okay, how do can we contribute in alleviating society in this crisis? Ano ba pwede maging ambag na namin? Ano ba handbag mo? Pandemya. Ambag. Ano ba yung ambag natin? Bilang mga guru ng politika, tama ba? How's my Tagalog board? Imbis na umbagan, ambagan tayo ngayon. Ambagan. Ambagan ng tayo. So, ano ba yung ambag ng, uh, ng mga guro ng pampolitika? Tama? Mga mm-hmm. guro. The people who teach politics. 
other words, we're, we're here to reflect on our vocation as people who teach politics, you know. So what does political education mean, you know? So the topic for our pilot podcast is political education. Dun, 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 dun. Ang edukasyon pampolitika. Yes. Now, okay, um, and um, uh, this is actually particularly personal for me because right now I'm starting to teach in, via Zoom, providing online classes. And right now I'm actually quite lucky to be, you know... Uh, employed. employed. <laughs> yes, unlike my co-host, but soon he will be, hopefully. God damn it. Fingers crossed. <laughs> that's, all, that's all hope. You know, we can hope. Uh, he's, but yeah, uh, and I'm trying to technically ask what is my role in this pandemic you know is what i'm teaching essential because everyone's teaching you know skills like math how to write how to read you know science but what about teaching politics or governance you know why why is that important and is it and what and what does it what does someone who is fully politically educated look like or how does he act like how does he speak like so we're, these are some of the questions that we'll talk about you know and how do i fulfill that role or maybe how will borge and i fulfill that role especially when we start teaching this online yeah, can know? such an entity even exist i think that goes yes. deeper but and especially how do we teach at this turning point in philippine society huh? teaching in the turning point yep that's, that's the title topic. all right all right Okay, so, uh, Bort, why don't we start by asking, you know, or defining our terms, like, what is political education, and what, and how does it manifest, you know, how do we know what political education is? Yeah, political education, we can tackle it at least two levels. I mean, the, the most shallow understanding, well, not really shallow, but the most basic would be, well, it's education and politics. It's education and public affairs. A deeper hmm. one would be political education provides First and foremost, information on public affairs. Second, skills. Now, this, this skills would range from the capacity to create knowledge out of the information that one has, mm. and practical civic skills, which I would probably throw at Matt later on since he's the one teaching. How on God's name right. do you teach civic skills? Mm -hmm. third, yeah. would be, third would be teaching values, political values. Right. And this is the sticky point in the entire issue of political education. And we would tackle mm. this one later on, but those are three things that political mm. education provides as a bridge between the ordinary citizen and the public sphere. Right. So thank I think we, we, we can start mm. with those. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. You laid it out for us. Now, it's funny because when you think about education, you think it means, you know, being informed, you know, giving you textbooks, you know, pictures, you know, paragraphs of text and memorizing them, you know, history, you know, formulas, etc. you know, but, you know, that's not, and technically everyone in this day and age is already informed. Everyone with a smartphone has all of humanity's knowledge in the palm of their hands. Mm -hmm. So technically, that would mean that education in terms of information would be obsolete. Mm -hmm. So, but, so, so what Board was saying a while ago is it's not enough to be informed, but also the skill of how to use that information properly, you know, and how to create knowledge, information, a knowledge of your own, you know, how to process that and how to discern, especially with faulty information and high quality information. 
Because I think what Borg and I can agree upon here is that while there's a watershed or like a saturation of information out there, there's also a saturation of like maybe low quality information like fake news, um, memes, you know. Let's just uh, say that uh, based on market principles, the supply of information is high, the demand is high, hence knowledge can be very cheap. And uh, mm -hmm. education's goal is to make high value knowledge. Mm -hmm. So in other words, okay, let's try to go into the particular now. So mm. uh, you were teaching much longer than I have, twice as long actually, six years, I think. Uh, yeah, what I'm getting old. A, Yes, he's a, quite old. But what does what should a person learn from your class? You know, besides, of course, all the theories. How does that look like? What are the skills uh, that you're trying to impart? I think I, for the most part, I've focused on the capacity of students to create their own knowledge. I think this is important. This is what separates citizens from mere subjects. I mean, subjects are fed with knowledge. They know things, but uh, the things that they know were already digested, formed by other people. And for this reason, such knowledge would embody the values of those who created. And that's a very sticky point. So my goal for the past six years of teaching was to ensure that my students can create their own knowledge on one hand, mm -hmm. and on the other hand, have the capacity to criticize, to extend other forms of knowledge and even their own, to check their own knowledge, its validity, its apl applicability, check their own biases. So yes, uh, that, that, that was, uh, those were my goals when, when I was teaching. Right. What about you, and how do you teach? Well, uh, let me just first say that it, that is important, you know, being able to have your own, find your own voice. And I think that's what I aim to do when I teach. You know, I try to help people find their voice. And it's kind of upsetting because sometimes when I ask them to do a reflection paper, they, what, it's what I call you know, repeating the news back to me. You know, I already <laughs> read the news. I don't need students to tell it again and repeat it. And even when they discuss the valid topics like ABS-CBN and uh, the closure of ABS-CBN, the anti-terror bill, uh, they have their arguments are basically the same arguments that the opposition has, you know. So this, but yeah. what else can you say about it? And the, you know, I don't. They don't. They didn't necessarily copy it from each other. They don't have the same quote unquote sources. But what the media says, it's almost like a. They have a synoptic view of it, and so they repeat that synoptic view, and then they put that in their papers. But what I always try to tell them is, tell me. Write a paper that only you can tell me, or at the very least, choose a topic that is personal to you. Because I teach, yeah, I, I try to teach them like citizenship, you know, and part of being a citizen is to look what's in front of you, what's in front of you, think about it, and see how it is, how it, maybe it's problematic or the problems that are around you, and how you can act upon it. Okay, so I think we can clarify. Can you clarify more on the idea of a synoptic view? A synoptic view. Yeah. It, well, I, I claimed it from like the, it's, it's a biblical term, meaning, meaning like four gospels, but they're basically taught, telling the story of Jesus. But basically, uh, okay, you go to ABS-CBN, they say the same thing. You go to GMA, they also say the same thing. Basically, it's a, and they usually are quite critical of the government, except for maybe if you go to a government news outlet, they 
probably be more positive with regards to the government. But uh, yeah, that's why it's an optic. And you can tell it would reflect in the papers. Uh, you said that you talk like you try to teach and to create your own knowledge. Do you, do you remember any particular original piece of knowledge that a student made, you know, or? The thing is, okay, regarding that one, I need to dig through my memories. I could not recall, but the goal, and usually the results that I get from my students is simple. Uh, again, uh, in relation to your notion of a synoptic knowledge, I think if my understanding is correct, a synoptic view means that the conclusion is already set. So you get a piece of mm -hmm. knowledge, the start and the ending is already there. Am I right? Right. Is that a synoptic mm. view? Uh, again, uh, mm -hmm. my goal is to try to break that. So uh, I encourage students and I try to equip students with the capacity to start from somewhere, but mm -hmm. not to repeat the ending that they already know. It is, mm -hmm. uh, I push them to go beyond what's already written. And I think right. that's, uh, that's, the, that's the primary challenge for, mm -hmm. for, for everyone. I mean, it's easier, it's easier to repeat a conclusion. It's, re it's easier to have a conclusion before asking a question. And that is troubling. And, and, and uh, if I may add to that, actually, I think the reason why they want to repeat an answer is because there's this obsession with being correct. Like, have, like yeah. the, for the longest time, when, you talk, when you're educated in math, in physics, in engineering or whatever, you're looking for a correct answer. Like one plus one equals two. You always say two. You know, that's that. But in politics, it's not always the case. You know, there is there, yeah, I try to ask, is there a correct answer in politics? And Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And I think we go back to the issue of values. Values mm. is the issue. Values right. determine values. <clears throat> the values that we have determine what is correct and what is not. Hmm. And that's very uh, tricky. And again, let's for the people at home and listeners, what do you mean by values? Yeah, values are, well, on one hand, you can consider values as the ideals you have. And on the other, other words, hand, your love yeah. for country, your mm, respecting your parents, that, that kind of thing? It can be as shallow or as basic as that. It can go as deeper as what kind of society do you want? Where right. do you want to go? So answers to that question. Another thing about values, uh, instrumental values, meaning what are the proper things to use? Right. So, mm. so you, yeah. So there are two parts that we've discussed of uh, like you have information, mm. but these are basically your tools you yeah. know, for that. And then you have uh, skills, what you do with this information. Yeah. You know? mm. Sometimes you create your own. Sometimes mm. you deploy it to strengthen an argument. Mm. But the values determine determine what what end do you want? Oh, what yeah. is the end goal? Yep. And uh, and the end goal in politics. And that ideally, like, so, and as a teacher, how do you how do you give them? What kind of values do you teach them? How do you impart these values? No, because that, take note, yeah. where you and I are educating in college, meaning mm -hmm. they are filled with their family's values. Mm, yes. And the values that have been instilled in, in grade school, high school. So how do you deal with students like that? I think uh, one reason why some of my subjects were boring, especially when mm -hmm. I teach comparative politics, the values I impart would be instrumental ones. I lay mm. down the means, the ideal means for them to create knowledge. 
meaning methodology, theoretical uh, theorizing, not not theories per se, but theorizing itself, how to deal with mm -hmm. such things. So I focus more on instrumental values. The other types of values I try to avoid. I, I don't want to impart, I, I try my best not to talk about my own ideals to my students. They need right. to ask me, they need to ask me what should be done, uh, what should happen, how should the Philippines look like, how should the state look like, how should the government act. They, they need to ask me before I say my, uh, before I say my piece because I don't preach. I don't preach those, uh, I, I don't right. preach those ideas in my classroom. Yeah. And as since you and I went through the same political uh, education system, you know, you've sometimes experienced professors trying to impart their own views. It's like sometimes, okay, so, of course you present different theories. Like a Marxist professor would try to create Marxist students. A conservative professor would try to convert them into maybe Christian democracy or whatever, or liberals. May mga dilawan na prof na so and that kind of thing what do you think about that form have you observed that you know because I think we've all had that one Marxist professor you know and no disrespect but uh, yeah it's 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 a bit problematic but okay uh, what do you think about that I, I never had a Marxist professor I think I was the Marxist professor <laughs> Ooh, but, uh, but during my under okay. during my undergrad, I never had any. Uh, wh okay. When I was teaching, yes, I do discuss Marx. I do defend his ideas. Okay. That's one thing. But uh, again, I do not say that this is the ideal in front of my students. They need right. to ask me outside uh, after class. They will ask me what the what do you think about Marx. <laughs> then I lay down my ideals. But uh, in a classroom setting, no, I try to avoid. Uh, and for those professors, for those teachers who try to impart such types of values to create uh, adjective student, uh, meaning adjective their own values and the student, my approach to that one is to create effective students instead. Students who can okay. theorize. Students who don't memorize theories, but students who can create their own theories, who can analyze theories or who can criticize ideologies more mm. specific. Right. But I have a question for you. Like even what if you're confronted by a student that has these really weird views like maybe perhaps something as simple as a Marcus apologist. Okay. I, or I what think, if the yeah. I think we, we I should think you've had some we should we should present answers for that one. I'll go first. You go next. <laughs> there are Okay, I asked you first, but okay, yeah. This is the studentry is still weird. There's still Marcus apologists. And whenever mm -hmm. I meet Marcus apologists I usually meet them either when I was teaching Machiavelli uh, or policy classes, but whenever I meet a Marcus apologist, I would always try to argue from the perspective of authoritarians for dictators. I would ask them, is Marcus a good dictator? <laughs> is Marcus an effective dictator? Then I would usually lay down his contemporaries who did away, who did far better than him in terms of longevity and more or less uh, doing shit for their own countries. But, uh, but, but yes, uh, my approach to Marcos apologies is that I judge Marcos based on the standards of a dictator. Right. And then they will start asking, oh shit, is, is Marcos actually a good dictator or not? Mm -hmm. And that, that, okay. that, that's my goal. Uh, I, I usually achieve that one. What about you? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you deal with Marcos apologies in your classes? Well, it's quite... Uh... 
I, as you, I just encountered one quite recently. And mm. the thing is, I'm not sure I handle it best, but I try to avoid what I know a lot of people kind of do. And sometimes it, it, it's even it's the way that even the way they're treated in like social media, like Marcus is not a hero. They sometimes shame people. They gang up on them on social media. Sometimes in front of class, they, the teacher shames them. It's like, oh, malika, bobo ka. And like, well, normally what I do is I simply ask questions. Okay, so why do you believe that? And they, they will lay out these things. He has achieved some things. He constructed the like the cultural center of the Philippines, San Juanico Bridge, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, okay, uh, what about, the, what else? What about the fruits of that? What are the economic indicators like has there has there been and sometimes i say this has there been an economist that has promoted or endorsed what marcus has done because i've and then i would lay out i'd lay out my literature you know Mm. there you have all these books saying the people that he's killed the amount of hunger that uh, he has Mm. caused so i present my data you present yours and let's have this discussion. Because if you automatically say uh, and assume that they're wrong, they'd simply kind of resent you for it or they'd try to go to somewhere else, you know, for, to re- uh, they look for someone to reaffirm that. Because if you attack them emotionally, they would look for emotional affirmation. And I think that's what people, what uh, Marcus and Paul just prey on, you know. Uh, the thing is, I value of debate and you know, empirical examination, you know, yep. it, rather than just assume like, hey, you're wrong. I ask them, okay, what makes you think you're right? You know, they, and uh, <laughs> at least has them examine, you know, what, and I think that's, that's what's more important. You know, it's not teaching what is correct, yep. but how to judge what is correct, you know, mm. or judge what is right. And I think that's one value that maybe perhaps you and I share in trying mm. to impart uh, and that is the value for truth and how is truth found. It's not always assumed, but it is how you say examined and tested. Yep. That's why it's political science. You know, you uh, are scholars. Yep. It's okay. And, and uh, re- yeah, and really applying that value for truth, the difficulty lies with applying it to yourself. So I mm. add the value of checking your own biases. I think that is right. something crucial that many had left out an extent that people leave right. uh, again we must check our own biases how do you, did you ever check your own bias oh hell yeah that's why i'm get, go more or less i'm getting crazy yeah. down because of this quarantine mm-hmm. like what bias did you examine and maybe huh maybe i'm wrong hmm. one bias that i did examine was My, my democratic leaning to an extent. <laughs> you questioned your democratic leaning? What yes, do you mean? Yes. Uh, I mean you my, mean for the longest time I have, dem- yeah. Yeah, for the longest time I have faith in the wisdom of the people. For the longest time. Ooh. Now I'm examining, does people even exist? <laughs> do, again, what do you mean do people exist? <laughs> the, the people as a political entity, do they actually exist? Uh, I've been examining that one for the past few months and really amazing conclusions. Can you explain that? Like, why wouldn't they exist? I mean, 
you see people all the time on the streets. No, or... the people as a political entity. No, no, not people as anatomical, biological creatures, but the people as a political entity. So do they actually exist? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think mm, well, we can get into that in a different side. But I think yeah, what you yeah, need yeah. to say is, like when people say, I speak for the people, like when yep. a populist would say, I am for the people. Yep. You say, what, what do you mean by people? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That that one, and, and I think uh, again, so you, uh-huh. remaining in our topic right now on political education, I think we can move on to what's the difference? What's the difference between political education and civic education? Ah, hmm. well, because technically, if you remember, I think I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but political education, like throughout the curriculum, you know, there is some level of political education, like even in. Hmm. Like in, I remember in, in in high school, there's science. Sometimes they have a textbook saying, "How can you be a scientist for the country?" So there's even that angle of political education in science, or how is math applied in like real life and accounting or or finance? I don't know. But there's oh, there are also subjects that are aimed specifically at at civic education, meaning how to be a citizen. Say, for instance, even like NSTP, National Service Training Program, uh, or GMRC, or CIVICA, like civics, literally it's translated to civics. Uh, do you remember how you were taught in these subjects? You know, what do, and how are they like? I took ROTC and I could only remember documentary being anti-communist. <laughs> Other than of that, course. nah. <laughs> Not, not, well, I think that speaks to the effectiveness of the <laughs> civic education. Uh, but I think that one of the simplest and most, one, I'm not sure if it's subtle, but uh, the everyday political, ed- political education, in fact, the intersection with political and civic is, uh, you remember the Panatang Makabayan, Iniibig mm. Pilipinas, Aking Lupang Sinilangan, Tahanan ng Aking Lai, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I still remember it almost. And it teaches you love for country teaches you to be uh, obedient to your parents. It teaches you to like it, um, these values and they inculcate them. But really, let's go back to where we are today. You know, like as political educators, like how do what is our specific role uh, with regards to things like that? Do we tell them to criticize and deconstruct everything, or what? Like uh, is, yeah, I think we can ask ourselves: How do we create citizens? Mm-hmm. How do we create citizens? You're the one teaching citizenship and governance right now, so right. How do we create citizens? Should we even create citizens? Or basically, that's another question: What does it mean to be a citizen? Because I think in the, I think the basic tension between what mean it means to be a citizen is two things. There's usually the classical debate between the citizens as having a set of rights, the right to vote, the right to mm. participate, the right to assembly, the right to free speech, the right to access government resources. Uh, and then there's a civic republicanism, which is citizenship as participating. And I think normally people assume that citizenship is about having these rights, invoking these rights, having human rights, you know, and it's, and yeah, that's a, especially right, right now, it's uh, heavy, heavily discussed and heavily invoked. Yeah. 
but at the same time, like, do we do anything about it? You know, yes. like, what, yeah. what is the right response at, in civic republicanism? Mm. How do we become active? What do we do? Do we always go on the streets and protest? Because mm. that is a go-to solution or response mm. when uh, things go bad. But is that all? And I think one thing that uh, in my class, I always, at the end of the class, uh, they always, I always ask them to create a solution and implement it, you know, at the very least, do your part. Mag-ambag kayo. Mag-lang kayo magreklamo. And this is a common mantra and criticism of the DDS. But in a way, you do, it does have a point. You can curse the president and Duque and Harry Roque all you want. But at, this, at the end of the day, you know, is that enough? You know, what else yes. can we do? And, and what, I, what I really want to impart, especially, is that political science or political education does not make you, it should not, on, should not only make you a, an articulate heckler of the government. <laughs> to make you a beggar, like to beg the government for, to be better, but also try to do your own part. You know, in fact, the sim, <laughs> one of the positive uh, values of what being a Filipino is bayanihan. You know, mm. helping each other, like that image of like people carrying their house, helping people move. Maybe you can talk about that. You know, yeah. you have anything to add regards to that? Yeah. No, the, the thing is. <clears throat> Uh, again, political education is a more general category. Political mm-hmm. education can create citizens. It can create rebels. It can mm-hmm. create critical thinking citizens, or it can create fanatics. Uh, civic education is a bit more specific. I think civic yeah. education embodies democracy as a set of values, democratic mm-hmm. values. But uh, again, as educators, we are to an extent trapped within two distinct set of values towards democracy. So Matt already mentioned those two, uh, but to be a, a bit more specific, you have on one hand, liberal citizen, a liberal democratic citizen armed with negative liberty, meaning freedom from what, and having a secure set of rights. So you can read on Isaiah Berlin's work on liberty for that. I think we can provide a link to this podcast. But on the other hand, you have the civic republicanism, which uh, contemporary theorist, the late Benjamin Barber, discussed with his idea of a strong democracy, that citizens should not be reduced to the private sphere. Citizens should not be mere bearers of rights, but they should also be active and that the the government is tasked, an actual democratic government is tasked to create means for citizens to have more effective participation in politics, because there's also a difference between participating in politics and effective participation. And civic education has a lot to do with the difference between those. That's why we also teach governance, because uh, citizenship right. and governance are tied together. Uh, citizenship can teach you why and how to participate, but governance, that part, to an extent, tries to make your participation effective. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can go on to your practice. How on God's name do you teach citizens to be part of governance? Well, first, let's ask ourselves, what is governance? You know, and although government and governance have the same root word, which is to govern, 
hmm. you know, the government, I think that's what we, we what the, one of the basic lessons I teach is that governance is beyond government. When we say governance, it's basically the processes that are involved in creating in public affairs or doing, creating public solutions to public problems. And government is a part of that, but it's also the problem. So when the government is dysfunctional, when the government cannot accommodate you, you maybe you go have other creative solutions or maybe go to other parties, like maybe the private sector or non-government organizations, NGOs, or sim- simple citizen efforts. Like you'd think that like in, the, in the, this current pandemic that we are forced to do nothing, you know, stuck in our homes. But right now there are a lot of people out of their own goodwill trying to do their part. Like some, some people are gathering money pooling their resources and donating it to frontliners for PPEs and for simple foods, uh, like meals, fund meals for nurses and doctors. You have people have like having different webinars, organizing them to keep them preoccupi- uh, preoccupied and sometimes creating, having skills, develop, having, helping people develop skills while being unemployed or working from home. So there's a lot there. And despite not having uh, contact with one another, or you know, that's the, the miracle of internet. Unfortunately, it's not equal, you know, since only people with decent internet can engage in this, but it is something. And some people are using it for like, to help people get access, like piso para sa laptop. People pooling money for, for someone to get a laptop, to have online classes or, you know, to work. So there's a lot you can do. For, and that is a form of governance. Uh, and and we, you can complain to the government all you want, but at the same time, you know, at least if we can make you realize that there's more to do than complain about the government, then, you know, I think that's, we've done our job. Simple as that. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Uh, any, I think we can move on to one kind of, and I'm, I'm trying to prevent saying a straw man here, uh, but it's a common, the common stereotype to political education, and that's voters' education. So <laughs> maybe we can, uh, you and I have issues with that. Maybe we can start with this one. You know, Sometimes when you say, oh, get educated, you mean how to vote properly. And there are a lot of those right now, especially. <laughs> and uh, more will come. They're ge- yes. And they're gearing up for the next election, especially right now when there's <laughs> so much dissatisfaction with our current regime. Uh, but what can you say about that? Like, voters. Political education, voters' education. Yeah. So. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so we have political education as a general category. We have civic education. Voters' education, to an extent, is something distinct from civic education, on one hand. Uh, it's a bit closer to political education. It's somewhere in between. On one, uh, that's one thing that's for sure. Uh, right. Voters' education don't teach citizens how to be citizens. You need more than knowing how to vote and knowing who to vote. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've been a part of. Uh, I've been a part of voters' education way back in 2012, 2013. And back of my head, I'm saying. Uh, Yes, I'm teaching you people how to vote and who to vote for. But at the end of the day, the values that you need to find in the leaders, uh, the same values that you should try to practice in your own realm as citizens. 
but we must be honest here. Voters' education is not civic education. You can consider it as a part, but you cannot say that ah, voters' education, that's civic education. It's, it's just a component. Another thing, probably my misgiving about voters' education is that sometimes it is, it veils. It hides the fact that your vote, even if the ballot is an equalizing force, your vote doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter that much. Ooh. It's it's a fact. <laughs> and I, I think mm. Benjamin Barber already pointed that out in his work. Other scholars have pointed that out with the idea of electoralism, wherein citizens are obsessed with voting and nothing more. The same thing is true for the Philippines. Our rate of voters, voter turnout had been high, amusing, re- re- comparatively high with our neighbors, even comparatively high mm. with the United States. And it's sustained. We like voting. We love voting. But the tendency of citizens to participate in non-electoral modes of participation, which is what is required of democratic citizens, their tendencies are very low. Mm. So I think voters' education should recognize the fact that voting is not everything. It will Mm. never be everything. And uh, you said something about voting being an equalizer. I think it's a common story that they give you, like, the vote yeah. of a CEO is the same as the vote of a janitor. Yeah, the so vote what? of a senator <laughs> will be the same as the vote of an 18-year-old student. So, yeah, so what? Like, well, okay, it's romantic. It's poetic, but it's like, okay. It's At the, the end hell. of the day, sometimes it's also, well, it's, yes, it's important to vote, but does it solve the systemic problems? You know, there's an agent problem, yes. There are people who don't vote. That's a problematic region. Sometimes people don't vote and abstain, which is <laughs> principle, you know, like some people I know. Uh, but they're, they're right. You know, there are other, it, it doesn't always address. It actually masks, like it pretend, like, pretends like saying, oh, by participating in this one day of the year, you solve the rest of the problem, all the set of problems that we had before. Everything will be all right. And it's, 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 I think <laughs> we're not the first people to say this, but I think it's, it deserves repeating saying, yeah, it's, yeah, it's more than that. But are you sure it's not because, you know, you're, uh, you never won, quote unquote. <laughs> no, I mean, like, no, no, no. your candidate never won. I think that's no. part of it. People think it's like a betting game. It's like, ay, panalo yung manok ko, you know. Nalap ng manok yan. My politician, my candidate. Oh, yeah. That's another thing that's that I. It's something that I always emphasize in all my classes. Mm. And I think that I would impart this to the listeners right now. Mm. Whenever you vote, you are not only legitimizing the candidates that you voted for, you are legitimizing the entire system with all of its flaws and, well, successes. You're legitimizing the entire system whenever you vote. And that's something that Mm -hmm. voters' education should try to highlight next time they conduct mm-hmm. the damn thing. Right. And that's something you're trying to impart. But has anyone tried to challenge you on that? Uh, no. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, I, mean, I think we, we mentioned earlier that sometimes it's people should think and create their own knowledge. So that's one thing. But sometimes you can present your own and they can, and you, you know that it's, that you've educated the world, but they can challenge you about that. So maybe that's something you can think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Soon, soon, yeah. soon. Uh, soon, hopefully. Soon. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe challenged by a student. That's that's always something. That's a sign that, that you've been educated well. Have you been challenged uh, by a student? Go- oh, hell yeah. 
like that one Marcus apologist. And I, again, my technique is challenge them back. Say, wait, where's your evidence? Here's mine. (laughs) All my books. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. And going back to the voters' education, um, I, I, I I recall this study by Frederick Schaefer, and it talks about uh, civic educators. And he studied all voters' education programs, and he talked about vote well how they address vote buying. And normal response would be, ah, um, tanggapin yung pera, pero but you still have to vote based on your conscience. And, but the problem is when people hear this message, they they say, bumoto So I'm like, we're not, we don't vote like that. So in other words, it, sometimes these voters' education curriculums or programs are based on a preconceived notion of what, like how the poor or how a, a, yes. a typical voter acts. Yes. So I think that's, that's problematic. So what do you think would be a I mean, it's already presented by Shaver, but what is a solution or alternative to that? What do you again, think? again, we must remind ourselves the the sticky, <laughs> the sticky Ew. issue, because the, the sticky issue. This is a family politi- podcast. Yes, yes, yes. I, I know, I know. Hence, I'll stop saying the word sticky. Uh, the difficult situation for political education is the issue of values. What happens when two different sets of values, embodied by the student and the teacher, collide? And these values are not necessarily harmonious. So, and that's another thing. I think that's a challenge for civic education as well. What do you do? What mm. on God's name do you do when values collide? Now, right. in relation to voters' education, I think that's another thing. I, I think you mentioned in our informal discussion earlier, voters' education is partially partisan. Okay, can you elaborate right. more on that one? Ah, I mean, this is behind the scenes, but all right. <laughs> Basically, of course, in they frame well, the way I read Schaefer's work is they frame certain politicians to be this way. These are the these are the politicians who buy votes, the typical mm. trapos. Therefore, you should vote people who do not openly buy, buy votes. Mm. These are your candidates. Mm. So it, technically, it's a basically it's partisan campaigning with mm. extra steps. <laughs> that is, that, and that's actually what I said in our, one of our discussions. But th- I think that's it. You know, I mean, I think, okay. is, is it a problem and or not? You think it it's a problem? Can, it is a problem. It's, it's, it's almost dishonest, you know, because it, it, they're trying to forward. Or it's, it's, you're basically pushing an argument. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're trying to affect the, in, their voting decision-making process. When in fact, uh, and again, uh, you said it's a clash of values. The way I would uh, at least try to teach how people, uh, how do people, how, how do people confront that? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only, the only solution I could think of is to train them how to have proper conversations, um, to have uh, to talk to people you disagree with, and I think that's one thing that Fair. we have forgotten: uh, how to ha- how to have a disagreement, a, a proper civil disagreement. And I think that I demonstrated that in my example. It's like instead of examining, you know, it's like, ah, or it's like, like, and you can even tell, like, if, if you go in, uh, in social media, it's like, I am blocking Fair. my pro Marcos friends. I am blocking my DSS friends. Well, okay. But why not instead try to talk to them? And of course, it may seem impossible, 
at least that, that's the thing that you should value. <laughs> you value conversation. How, how do you handle this agreement, Borge? Yeah, that's, a, that's another thing. It's a, it, at this point in a highly polarized society, conversation is the most difficult thing to do at this point. But uh, going back to voters' education, probably just some final words on voters' education right. regarding class of, clash of values, how to solve it. This is the problem. For me, it's only a problem if you try to hide it behind a claim of neutrality. I think if, mm -hmm. if, if you're going to conduct a voters' education and advocate certain characteristics for a candidate, then just lay it all out. It's not necessarily partisan, but you, you can just acknowledge that these are a set of civic values. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. It's, it's not necessarily right. partisan, but just say these are civic values. Right. So I, I don't think uh, neutrality is a joke <laughs> in the face of political mm. education. Uh, neutrality is, oh God, that's a, this is a different topic for, for a different uh, podcast. But if you're going to conduct political education, if you're going to conduct voters' education, just say that if you're trying to promote a set of values, then just say we are trying to promote a set of civic values. No need mm. to say that uh, we're trying to be neutral and such and such. Mm. Uh, and one last thing. Um, if, well, um, well, one last question, I think, on this, and then maybe we can, uh, uh, we can wrap this up. Normally, if, if someone would press you on how do we vote, you know, mm. uh, what would you tell them? And, and I'd say, uh, let me answer it first. Mm. Uh, normally, uh, and how I would vote, I, I don't vote for saints. Most people are looking for <laughs> saints. I, I you cannot find them. Like you say, oh, uh, people ask is like, who do you want to vote? I just go, you know, masipag, yung mabait, patulungin, but gusto mo tumulong sa mga mahihirap, mga ganyan. And of course, people can act this way, but once they are in office, uh, so I don't look for saints, but I can, I try to look for people you can really work with. I can, mm. are they like, number one, who, who's behind them and are the people behind them let's face it all politicians have people behind them but are yep. the people behind them people you can work with you know okay. i mean you can it gets, we live in an oligarchy but not all oligarchies are evil some oligarchs are lesser evils you know? <laughs> evil but lesser you know it's anyway like a cute devil <laughs> yeah yeah there are worse there's always worse devils you know but there are also lesser evils that you know you can tolerate. So what do you think? If someone were to press you, how should we vote? What would you say? Don't. Why choose between <laughs> evils? <laughs> Ooh, but I think, that, I think this is a topic for another podcast. But if, if I was, someone would press me, even if they try to shoot me, I would just say, yeah, don't settle for less. If you have mm -hmm. garbage as your option, why choose garbage in the first place? Mm. That's one thing. Never be, trapped by <laughs> Never be trapped by your options. Never be trapped by your options. That's quotable. Never be trapped by the options. Borja 2020. Or yep. Borge 2020. All right. <laughs> All right. So that is our, well, that is our first discussion, you know, on political education. Uh, it's yep. incomplete, but some of the best conversations are never finished. So maybe you can continue this. And if ever you have questions, we can address them in the next podcast. Uh, you can uh, send us your questions or concerns and comments at P P I podcast P I podcast P H 
at gmail.com. There'll be a link in the description. It's P-I-Podcast-P-H at gmail.com. Okay, no doubt. We're still confusing it. There are link. There'll be a link in the description in our podcast. So you can look at the screen. Now, for our last segment, and this is how we'll cap off most of our podcasts, we will have recommendations on materials that would be helpful. Sometimes they're related uh, to our topic, and sometimes it's something we really just want people to uh, to read. It could be like a book, maybe a piece of poetry, an essay, a movie, a TV show, or whatever. Like, just a, it's a recommendation, and uh, it's mm. a sh- it's sharing our tastes, maybe, uh, and m- maybe there could be recommendations from <laughs> the viewer, the listeners. So, do you have a recommendation for us, Borge? Sir, hanggang dito ba naman merong readings? <laughs> but, 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 for, but for my case, okay, not a required reading. <laughs> but uh, I would recommend, oh nga pala, uh, bilingual na batas tayo ngayon. Ang irerekomenda kong libro para sa inyo ay ang Pantayong Pananaw, Ugat at Kabuluhan, Pambungad sa Pag-aaral ng Bagong Kasaysayan. Ang mapatnugot nito ay sina Atoy Navarro, Mary Jane Rodriguez, Vicente Villan. Uh, ito ay galing sa Bakas, Bagong Kasaysayan Incorporated. Uh, ilalagay namin Most ng link. Naman, sir. Ilalagay, namin ng link. <laughs> ilalagay namin uh, ng link sige. nito sa podcast. Ang makukuha natin dito sa librong ito ay kung gagawa tayo ng isang balangkas, isang bagong balangkas para sa edukasyong pampolitika dito sa Pilipinas. Mabuti nang magsimula tayo sa kali ng ang Pilipino. So, itong libro na to ay isang matag uh, natin introduction sa uh, pantayong pananaw. I'm sorry, I'm not magaling in Tagalog. So can you like repeat that? <laughs> okay, I'm okay. Sorry. Uh, uh, but, uh, okay, what's it about? Like, what is the... In, in, for those people who are less... Okay, it, 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 is, it, is, it is basically an introduction to the movement of Uh, started by Dr. Zeus Salazar on Zeus Salazar. Yeah, Zeus Salazar yes. on native history. Pantayong Pananaw, Pananaw. Which, yes. which translates as our perspective. So it's looking at history from our perspective. Uh, again, if we would start civic education, political education based on our own experience, then we should use our own ideas, our own yes. language. Okay. And I'll take a look at that as someone less versed in Tagalog. Maybe I'll know a thing or two. So it's uh, history. <laughs> yeah. So it's literally history for Filipinos, From about Filipinos, by Filipinos, in a Filipino language. So yep. That's interesting. Uh, what, what's the specific title again? Uh, Pantayong Pananaw, Pantayong Pananaw, Ugat at Kabuluhan. Hmm. Uh, for my recommendation... Tagalog din to, ha? Kaya ko rin mag-Tagalog. Eh. <laughs> kaya mo yan, kaya mo yan. The title is uh, Mula Tore Patungong Palengka. I have it right here. Can you hear that? <laughs> it's a hard copy. It's a neoliberal education in the Philippines. You know, uh, It's produced by Ibon Books and Contend. Uh, so it's it's a body of knowledge produced by civil society itself. And it has a lot of Uh, it's a compilation of different articles. It's both. It's bilingual, so it's English and Tagalog. If you're more inclined mm-hmm. English, it's for you. If you're in Tagalog, it's all, it has also chapters for you. And there are a lot of well, this different angles on education based on our topic today. And one, some of a few standouts are from my former professor, uh, Je- 
Professor Giallogo, his chapter is about, he takes a look at history books on the Philippines and he compare how they, uh, how they would treat the Philippine-American War. And if you look at Philippine textbooks, the Philippine-American occupation would comprise almost 25% of the entire book. Whereas in American textbooks, uh, the Philippine occupation would only comprise of what? Two or three or four pages. So Ooh. it is always uneven. Yeah. And that's the skewedness of education in our textbooks. And another one is by Elmer Ordonez. He talks the neoliberalism near, in UP, you know, University of the Philippines. Uh, you'd think that UP uh, is this nationalistic, you know, bastion of nationalistic thought and critical thought. But he reveals that on certain uh, certain periods of history, it became a think tank for the Marcus regime and implicit in a way in uh, the neoliberalization of education. And you'd have another chapter. Um, and there's this other one wherein it argues that the education of English is actually producing labor for the BPO markets. So there's the, you notice that the curriculum is forcing us to speak in English. You know, it's a colonial scar, actually. And it's ko so nagagawa. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's an interesting book. It skews left, but I think it's thought-provoking enough to think about education uh, here in the Philippines. And I, I think there's a, it, I think I found a link to the entire book in PDF, so you can read that. Uh, and we'll put that link in the description of our podcast. So that is it for our maiden voyage. Not bad for the first time. Woo! Yeah. Woo, first time, yeah. So hopefully we'll see you in our next uh, episode. Uh, and it'll be a great discussion. We'll, we look forward to your questions. Uh, we will see you next time. And until then, Magandang gabi, mga kapi Mga kapi <laughs> Okay. If you enjoy the jazzy tunes of this podcast, you can find similar works with John Victor Ordonez of the band John's Dirty Old Sneakers at Spotify and SoundCloud. The logo and design were done by Shin Miyamoto and Anthony Borja.